Unexplainable is a science show about everything we don't know. Like, we don't know how bikes work. Get out. Come on. We don't know where the moon came from. Holy cow. You've touched the moon. This is incredible. We don't even know what life is. No one has been able to define life, and some people will tell you it's not possible to. Unexplainable takes you right up to the edge of what we know and keeps going. New episodes every Wednesday, wherever you get your podcasts. Olivia here. I want to tell you about a new podcast from Axios called One Big Thing. It's hosted by Nyla Budu and features interviews with leaders you know or need to know in business, politics, and culture. Each week, you'll hear one big conversation on the trends shaping our world from people like Surgeon General Vivek Murthy, technology reporter Ina Freed, and chef and humanitarian Jose Andres. So go ahead, listen to One Big Thing on your favorite podcast app. New episodes drop every Thursday. Hello, and welcome to BioEats World, a podcast at the intersection of bio, healthcare, and tech. I'm Olivia. And I'm Chris. Today's episode is with Jordi Matafink, co-founder and CEO of Gate Bioscience. He is joined by Vanita Agarwala and Ben Portney of A16Z Bio and Health. They talked about the science behind Gate and how the potential therapeutic applications could more easily go where existing pharmaceuticals can't. If the extracellular protein is expressed in the brain, uh, it's very difficult for biologics, antibodies, and nucleic acids to cross the blood-brain barrier and get into the brain to have their effect. Uh, but small molecules inherent to their to their small size uh, lets them access all tissues, including the brain. And so we see really interesting opportunities also in places where uh, we know an extra extracellular protein causes disease, but there just really is no good way to address it with today's therapies. Jordi also talked about the process of founding GATE and how the current AI explosion could optimize drug discovery. Especially in this day and age of, of you know, the, the increasing explosion of computational biology and artificial intelligence and machine learning approaches as applied to drug discovery, we're able to take those tools and really focus them in on a very specific problem set, which is a subset of proteins, 4,000 proteins that go through one channel and have our library of molecules and how they uh, affect the secretion of those of those 4,000 proteins and really build this very richly annotated, very detailed data set around the process of, of translocation and the process and the mechanism of molecular gates and use that data for, for learning as well. You're listening to BioEats World from A16Z. Thanks for joining us on this podcast. Yeah, thanks for having me. We are incredibly excited, Jordi, to finally be able to tell the world about what you're building at Gate and how excited we are to be partnering with you, your co-founders, and the whole company. We'd love for you to just tell us a little bit about what Gate is. What was the origin story for Gate Bioscience? So what we're doing is we are developing a new class of therapeutic, um, a class of small molecule therapeutic that we call molecular gates. They can do something pretty interesting, uh, which is to eliminate disease-causing extracellular proteins. So if we think about extracellular proteins, what I mean by that are proteins that leave the cell, right? So maybe they're secreted proteins and they float around in the body, uh, membrane proteins that sit on the cell membrane and, and look outward and act outward of the cell. Um, and uh, there's about 4,000 extracellular proteins in the body, and they can cause all manner of diseases. Uh, they can cause diseases when, for example, the extracellular protein is expressed at too high a level. Um, 
at the wrong time in the body, in the wrong place in the body. In some instances, the protein misfolds. It can clump together and form, form aggregates that deposit in various tissues. So there's a number of diseases of extracellular proteins. And, and our insight is that it'd be really nice to be able to go in and eliminate the disease-causing protein uh, and therefore try to, um, to correct the disease for patients. So we have about 20,000 proteins in our body or 20,000 genes that encode proteins not all of which are expressed at all times, but roughly in that denominator, just bring us all up to speed. How many of those are extracellular yeah. proteins? Encoded in our genome, there's about 4,000 of those that are extracellular, uh, so about one-fifth there. And then um, of those 4,000, there's about 1,000 that are credibly linked uh, as drivers of human disease of various forms. Okay, so 1,000 is kind of the fishing pond. That's a lot of targets, more than enough for any one company to pursue. And what has the world been doing about those thousand targets? The ones that you're saying, hey, these are this is an extracellular protein. We know it's linked to disease. It might contribute to causal disease biology. We'd love to be able to therapeutically intervene on those thousand proteins. How would you characterize like the state of the world prior to gate bio? You know, there are a number of ways to address extracellular proteins that cause disease. Some of the most uh, common and successful drug classes that exist today actually go after extracellular proteins. So things like monoclonal antibodies, for example, are protein drugs that uh, are, are administered, injected to the body and go and will bind to and, and block or eliminate uh, extracellular proteins. Uh, and the same is true for some of the newer classes of RNA drugs, not the vaccines from, from COVID times, but silencing RNA, siRNA and antisense RNA, also injectable biologic therapies that will go in and uh, eliminate proteins. So there are therapies on the market today for a set of extracellular proteins, but they are injectable biologics, um, large molecules. And what GATE brings to the table with our molecular GATEs is a small molecule approach. And so now we're talking small molecule uh, chemical matter that can be taken as a pill, taken orally by mouth, uh, and has a number of advantages in, in terms of convenience for patients' access to certain tissues uh, in ways that biologics just, just can't address. So we think of our opportunity for molecular gates as, in some instances, proteins that are therapeutically addressed today with things like antibodies, but we could come with a better choice for patients with a molecular gate. Uh, and in other instances, uh, proteins that are actually really hard to address with biologics. So as an example, if the extracellular protein is expressed in the brain, uh, it's very difficult for biologics, antibodies and nucleic acids to cross the blood-brain barrier and get into the brain to have their effect. Uh, but small molecules inherent to their, to their small size uh, lets them access all tissues, including the brain. And so we see really interesting opportunities also in places where uh, we know an extra extracellular protein causes disease, but there just really is no good way to address it with today's therapies. And that's that's really something that got us most excited. That small molecules are capable of achieving feats that were previously only achievable with biologics or peptides or otherwise is just uh, uh, another point um, that small molecules are, are having a resurgence in today's uh, pharmacopoeia. And so that gate is going after this was incredibly exciting to us. Yeah, you know, maybe I can, can add a bit more color, Ben, jumping off of that around how the gates actually work as a mechanism. Um, because, you know, the extracellular protein targets that in some cases can be hit with antibodies or, or antisense oligonucleotides, what the molecular gate is doing to those very same targets is very different. So the proteins that we are addressing, the disease-causing proteins that we aim to eliminate 
are extracellular, but the molecular gate is actually eliminating them at their source, which is inside the cell. So these 4,000 extracellular proteins that we were talking about, like every other protein in your body, they are encoded in your genome, which is inside the cell. And so they begin their life inside the cell and have to get from inside to outside. And so I can kind of walk you through how that happens for a normal protein. If you remember your sort of central dogma of molecular biology, the DNA gets transcribed to RNA, and the RNA is translated by the ribosome, and so RNA goes to protein. And that's all happening inside the cell. But for an extracellular protein, as the polypeptide is getting assembled by the ribosome, it starts to traffic on this pathway called the secretory pathway of sort of beginning its journey out of the cell. And that journey starts by going through a single, very highly conserved channel that's called the secretory translocon. So basically all 4,000 extracellular proteins, no matter what their final destination is, membrane or secreted, have to go through this single channel, the secretory translocon, um, to begin this journey out of the cell. Where is the secretory translocon in the cell? It sits in the endoplasmic reticulum, that squiggly uh, spaghetti-like structure in the cell. This unique kind of universal convergent pathway that every secretory protein has to go through. It's called the secretory translocon. And to get from inside to outside the cell, you first have to get into the ER through, through this translocon. It turns out if you follow the evolutionary tree of life backwards from today's species through every most recent common ancestor, working your way back through the eons of history, when you get to the common ancestor of prokaryotes and eukaryotes, meaning when life first decided, hey, we need a nucleus and we're going to start making cells with nuclei versus cells without, right? The split between sort of complex life and bacteria. You go way back to that very early node in evolutionary history, you had a secretory translocon. Like this is nature's solution for getting proteins from one side of a membrane to another. It's really, really ancient biology. And Jordy, what, so what was the eureka moment here where you realized that this pathway that has been around in all cells is something that can be druggable? Yeah, so what a great question. And I actually kind of skipped that part of the story when we're talking about the secretory translocon and what it is. I didn't yet say what the molecular gate does. And so let me just fill that last chapter of the story, which is that these 4,000 extracellular proteins have to go through the secretory translocon, as we were just saying. It's the first step on their journey from inside to outside. And what the molecular gate does, it's a small molecule. It binds to the secretory translocon, to this common channel, and sets up, literally, a molecular gate in the channel to recognize the sequence of the disease-causing protein and block it from going through, and importantly, allowing non-targeted proteins, the healthy proteins in this case, to pass through the channel normally and be secreted normally. Uh, so in this instance, when the, the disease-causing protein gets blocked by the molecular gate, it falls back out into the cytoplasm where it's immediately recognized by the cell as being mislocalized. There's a whole host of machinery that the cell has naturally to uh, account for proteins that end up in the wrong place. Um, and that machinery gets to work chopping up the polypeptide or the, the, the protein that uh, the molecular gate blocked. Uh, the, the molecular gate sitting in the channel is able to redirect a disease-causing protein to be degraded by the cell instead of being secreted. And that's how the elimination takes place. Perhaps to jump from there, Ben, to your question of, okay, this insight that you could put a molecular gate there, like where does that come from? Did this have just come out of the, the ether? And no, it didn't come out of the ether. We're standing on 30 years of 
tremendous work uh, by many, many, many scientists in industry and in academia. And I can tell you a little bit of that history. So the, the very first uh, discoveries of molecules that bind to the secretory translocon and that affect secretion of proteins actually goes back nearly 30 years. I was able to dig up the original paper, 1994, and it was discovered in pharma by a group at Sandoz, which later became Novartis, uh, doing a phenotypic screen, essentially taking fungal broths that they had in their back room and dumping them on cells to see if they could find something that was anti-inflammatory was what they were looking for at the time. And they discovered a, a set of molecules that seemed to prevent the secretion of inflammatory proteins. Uh, and this set off a whole field of exploration in chemical biology and industry and academia to try and understand what were these molecules, how are they working. I can cut to the chase of that story, which is these molecules, it turns out, were actually binding to the secretory translocon. But unlike what we're doing today with molecular gates, these molecules were more like a wall or a plug at the secretory translocon. They would block everything from going through. So the cells treated with these natural product molecules um, essentially were unable to secrete any proteins. And that would show up in an anti-inflammation phenotype because when you have inflammation, you actually have a lot of secretion of inflammatory mediators. So it, it, it sort of makes sense that you would observe that phenotype. But really, the molecules were, were plugs of the, of the channel and therefore not very drug-like. But that was the, the foundation, really 30 years of a lot of work in industry and academia to discover these molecules, understand how the channel works, understand where they bind, develop structural insights into how this is all functioning. So that's sort of the, the foundation of, of the field. So it sounds like the field knew a lot about the secretory translocon and was even starting to understand how small molecules could perturb its activity. Where do the founders of Gate Bio come into this? Where we come into that story is actually a very important inflection point that was spearheaded by my scientific co-founder, Pat Sharp. Uh, he was um, doing postdoctoral training uh, in a lab at UCSF that was studying the secretory translocon and studying some of these broad spectrum molecules. And he actually made the very surprising discovery that if you tweak the chemistry of those molecules, you could turn them from plugs into gates that you could get molecular selectivity, because even though the channel is the same, the amino acid sequence of each of those 4,000 secreted proteins going through the channel is different. And because the amino acid sequence of the secreted proteins is different, it, each extracellular protein will interact slightly differently on its journey through the, through the channel. And therefore, you can start to, to recognize those differences and, and get selectivity with a molecular gate. So that was Pat's real, real insight. Um, and it got us thinking that you could start to envision a small molecule modality that could selectively eliminate an extracellular protein. That, that just seemed pretty powerful to us. Some of our industry's most successful therapeutics or new modalities have taken lessons from what nature has already accomplished. And so it's noteworthy that Gates' origin story centers on natural products. Can you speak to the importance of that and, and how Gate is actively learning from nature still? Yeah, Ben, what a great question. There's so much that we can learn from what nature has already taught us. Uh, you know, in our case for GATE, you're exactly right. We talked earlier about some of the original discoveries in the field coming from natural products. Um, we're not working with natural products now in our platform, but certainly it teaches us that it's possible to put chemicals at the channel and to affect secretion of proteins or transit of proteins through the channel. Very important to, as an existence proof to be able to launch from that. So one other piece that's interesting, Ben, to, to that as well, is that nature has come up 
with a solution for plugs of the channel many times. And you can actually go look at the different chemical structures of natural products that act at the channel. And what it teaches you is that much in the same way that the secretory translocon has evolved to accept 4,000 different sequences of proteins going through it, it has also evolved to accept many different structures of chemicals to perturb it. And that becomes important for us as we think about developing additional chemical diversity in our molecular gate library that has different therapeutic properties and different target specificities. So again, learning from nature to teach us where things might be tractable, uh, it, it's a really important principle when you're, when you're building something new. So let me see if I can summarize this just kind of extraordinary opportunity set that was that you were staring at as as co-founders of Gate Bioscience. You were kind of looking at this opportunity to use small molecules, you know, what I like to call the OGs of our therapeutic arsenal, like the original unsung heroes, the original aspirins and you know, tamoxifens and, you know, more recently Paxlovids of our of our therapeutic arsenal. These are small molecules that Everybody can take potentially as an oral pill and you saw an opportunity to bring small molecules to the battlefield against extracellular protein targets, which have historically not been amenable to small molecule drug discovery and drug programs. And you were going to do it by exploiting this like science fiction like feat inside the cell to exploit machinery that we already know exists in the cell but that we haven't been able to use for our own purposes as drug discoverers. What a cool concept to build a whole new class of medicines that would take advantage of existing infrastructure inside the cell in a way that nobody had ever done before and do it to try to help patients suffering with, with terrible diseases. What else gave you the conviction that like, hey, this is not only a cool idea, but enough to start a whole company around? I share your excitement. When I first met Pat and, and Raman, Raman and I, uh, Raman Talwar, my third co-founder, uh, and I are old friends, but we got together with Pat and we began discussing this idea. Uh, and Pat shared some of his insights into the, the potential to make molecular gates at this channel. And like you said, sounds kind of science fiction-y, has never been done before. If I just take a minute to talk about some principles, one of the things that I've, I've learned over the years and I deeply believe is that uh, it's worth interrogating and imagining the future before you go there. As much as you can try to live in the future and think about and understand what would be valuable and what would be transformative. And once you define that with specificity, then you know the destination is worth going to. Now it's now you can go back and start building there. It's a very different frame of reference than sitting today and looking outward and saying, what are the next incremental steps I can do with what I know today? And my brain started racing exactly to, to where you just went, which is we can eliminate extracellular proteins with a small molecule. We can do things that no one else can do today and that no other technologies in development today could do either. Right? Small molecules to eliminate extracellular proteins is just not on the table. And if you start to think about the diseases where this could have a really big impact, we talked earlier about potentially an inflammation where patients have to take injectable therapies, and it might be quite a bit more convenient to take uh, pills. Or importantly, you could maybe move uh, autoimmune diseases into more of a realm of combination therapies in the way that we have so successfully in oncology. Or neurodegenerative diseases that 
today have no treatments, where you might be able to bring something completely new for patients who otherwise have no hope. So really the impact was, was really you know, staring us in the face <laughs> and got us very excited to go and build what we need to build to get there. Um, and maybe that's the second piece of, of the opportunity that we saw, which is what do you need to build to make this molecular gate vision a reality? And, and for us, that really centered around the platform itself. And an interesting feature here that we've said many times, 4,000 different extracellular proteins, 1,000 of which are linked to disease, those diseases manifest in different ways. Sometimes it's you know acting in one way or another or aggregating or, or, or whatever it might be. But if you put your gate goggles on, there is a single therapeutic mechanism, which is that we are only looking at the secretory translocon and we are only looking at creating molecular gates in that one channel it kind of doesn't matter what the manifestation of the disease is, we can build a small and focused team with deep insights into this very one specific part of biology and develop platform tools and assays and insights that would then read on every single possible program we could do. And so you could start to map this path out of how do we build from this science fiction what if to a future that we're still on the path towards, but but that we have increasing confidence in. Great people, you know, beget more great people. Just as you said, Jordy, confidence can beget future confidence. Tell us a little bit about how you build your team. Like, what do you look for in your early startup team members? You know, for early startup scientists and leaders, there's a couple of key phenotypes that we look for. Um, polyvalency, fearlessness, exceptional rigor, um, folks who can jump in and are not afraid to, to build something new. As the team grows, I think it's also important to complement that with judgment and credibility in leadership. Um, and that's one of the things that I'm most proud of the team that we've built. You know, we, we've talked a bunch about molecular gates scientifically and how they are new. And in, in many ways, we're trailblazers in that in that regard. But the path that we're following is one that has been laid before us by folks who've developed uh, other small molecule modalities. You know, there's a, and there's a playbook that those small molecule modalities um, have figured out. And so we've done our very best to try and bring people around the table who can help us learn those lessons uh, and apply them to molecular gates. A founding team is really important to a company, and it's, uh, it's crucial to have um, complementary skill sets and to, to work together and to really, really get along with each other well. I didn't meet Pat in person until... I think perhaps after we even closed the seed funding to, to start the company. Um, talk about the crazy things we did back then. Uh, my third co-founder, Raman Talwar, and I actually go back uh, quite a ways. He had a, a similar career trajectory to me at a biotech venture company creation firm and, and had been involved in starting many companies. We'd been friends for a long time. You know, for the Gate team, we had really complementary skills, right? So Pat brought this scientific expertise and deep knowledge of the process of secretion and, and molecules at the secretory translocon. Uh, and Raman built multiple companies in his own right and is a, a seasoned technologist and platform builder, brought expertise in how we might think about bringing different technologies to bear, but also a really important uh, people skill, which is, uh, I joke with him, I call him the glubricant because he's both a glue and a lubricant. He brings people together and really deeply uh, connects people and understands how communication has to happen well, but at the same time also gets people really excited about the mission uh, that, that we're trying to, to do together. 
I want to talk for a second about the the power of a platform at a biotech company. And that word gets used a lot and misused a lot. But Ben and I love platform companies. And there are there's a specific reason why, which is that not only is it a huge moat and area of expertise that, you know, a startup can sort of call its own, but it's also this incredible learning engine for a biotech company that makes it progressively easier, faster, cheaper, and hopefully smarter over time at throwing out and throwing off additional exciting drug programs after your first, your second, your third. And that's because you use everything you've learned about building a molecular gate and characterizing a molecular gate and optimizing a molecular gate against one target. You get to use it again when you go after the second, the third, the fourth, and so on targets. Is that how you see the platform? Tell us a little bit about like what you're building in the gate bioscience platform. In the truest sense, what a platform enables is a, a common genotype for all of your programs, right? Uh, every molecule that you make, every therapeutic you try to develop shares a core set of technologies, assays, insights, and as you get better by learning, as you go along, you can take those those insights and that uh, those advances and feed them back in to make every future program that you do faster, cheaper, better. I love your word, smarter, more likely to succeed, both in terms of pushing things forward, but also knowing what things not to work on. When you have an opportunity space as big as many platforms do, uh, to be able to know where to focus your efforts. It's, it's a really important part of, of building a successful company. You know, for the Gate platform in particular, we spoke earlier about how we can really focus in on the secretory translocon and on the process of extracellular proteins going through this very conserved channel and looking at how the molecular gates are acting in that channel. And what's interesting, especially in this day and age of, of you know, the, the increasing explosion of computational biology and artificial intelligence and machine learning approaches as applied to drug discovery, we're able to take those tools and really focus them in on a very specific problem set, which is a subset of proteins, 4,000 proteins that go through one channel and have our library of molecules and how they uh, affect the secretion of those of those 4,000 proteins, and really build this very richly annotated, very detailed data set around the process of, of translocation and the process and the mechanism of molecular gates, and use that data for, for learning as well. Every insight that we generate and every problem that we solve and every tool that we build then can get applied to every future program. So we, we joke internally that it's like the sweet drippings of the barbecue of discovery because it's kind of getting fed off of, of, of one program, but everything we learn from that, we immediately use for all future programs and to make things smarter and, and more delicious. I look forward to being on this journey for many years together. We're, we're trying to do something special, uh, but it's also hard. I think it's, uh, as with anything in drug discovery, it's never a sure thing, but we're going to give it our best damn shot. And it's wonderful to have partners like you guys around the table. Grateful to be working together. Thanks so much. Thank you for joining BioEats World. BioEats World is hosted and produced by me, Olivia Webb, with the help of the Bio and Health team at A16Z and edited by Phil Hegseth. BioEats World is part of the A16Z podcast network. If you have questions about the episode or want to suggest topics for a future episode, 
please email bioeatsworld at a16z.com. Last but not least, if you're enjoying BioEats World, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. The content here is for informational purposes only, should not be taken as legal, business, tax, or investment advice, or be used to evaluate any investment or security, and is not directed at any investors or potential investors in any A16Z fund. Please note that A16Z and its affiliates may maintain investments in the companies discussed in this podcast. For more details, including a link to our investments, please see a16z.com slash disclosures.